0: This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and 89FM The Impact. My name's Andrew Graham. I'm a reporter for East Lansing Info. I'm joined here today with Brian Wassum. He is an attorney from the Warner Norcross and Judd firm, and Brian has represented Eli in our civil suit, which was recently dismissed, brought by real estate developer Scott Chappelle. Brian, thank you for joining me today. No problem. Good to be here, Andrew. Awesome. So I just want to get right into it, basically. We've covered the the case at EastLancingInfo.com, and the lawsuit against Eli was dismissed um, by Judge Joyce Drag and. Can you just walk me through what Chappelle was claiming in their complaint and why Judge Dragonchuck sided with Eli and found the law to be on the side of our reporting?
1: Sure. Well, in a nutshell, um, she found that nothing he said rose to the level of an actionable defamation claim. Um, This was a ruling on the at the very outset of the case on on legal grounds uh, rather than on facts. In other words, this was the court reviewing the claims made in the complaint, in Chappelle's complaint, and finding as a matter of law... That there is no point in going on with the rest of the case, no point in allowing him to do discovery and having uh, depositions and and reviewing documents, things of that nature, things of debatable factual uh, substance, because um, no matter what he facts he presented, the claims that he alleged themselves were fatally flawed. They they didn't they they couldn't support a defamation claim, and so she kicked it right out of the door. And that's a that's a difficult standard. To Meet um, normally a, right. a you know a plaintiff is is entitled to to make their case right and do their discovery so the fact that the court is willing to rule at that level you know really indicates uh, how strongly defective the complaint
0: really was right so I want to get a, a little bit into defamation law so as you said there you kind of touched on it that the 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 root or base of any defamation case or a suit like this is that s- something has to be false no there sort of has to be some false claim or some claim that could be false or defamatory right mm-hmm. got gotcha. right. and so yeah in this case basically just nothing rose to that level and i guess what's the you use the phrase rising to the level of defamation and i'm i'm more a lay person here what what does that sort of entail i know that's very broad but i guess in terms of this case how did they fail to make muster how did they fail to be able to do that
1: well, they failed in a lot of ways to be honest. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll walk you through it so um a defamation claim is intentionally difficult to win uh From the outset, because in in our legal system, we start from the presumption of the First Amendment and freedom of speech. Right. So absent some exception to the First Amendment, everybody has the right to speak their mind, whatever they want to say. Now, the, the cause of action for defamation is one of those uh, exceptions, um, but there are a lot of hoops to jump through, a lot of elements that need to be met in order to prevail on a claim like that. Um, first and foremost, there has to be something that's false. Right, and that's frankly what what doomed just about all of his claims here, uh, is that you have to say something that is objectively falsifiable, and what that means is it's not just something you disagree with, uh, not just something that you could persuade the majority of people is is probably not the right conclusion. Um, you know, it doesn't mean an unpopular opinion. Uh, it means something an objective statement of fact that can be proven true or false. And that is actually false. So, you if I say that Scott Chappelle, you know, shot his grandmother, well, you know, that's objectively falsifiable. He, he didn't shoot his grandmother, as far as I know. And he, he either did, or he didn't do that. Right. And you can prove that with, with facts. If I say Scott Chappelle is a jerk, Well, you know, you can argue up and down that he doesn't deserve that label, Um, and he may very well be an incredibly nice guy, and most people would be persuaded that he's not a jerk. But that's not something that's true or false. That's an opinion.
0: Right. And so in this case, it it seems to me, and I I didn't specifically do the reporting that was questioned in this suit, but uh, just from my reading of it, it seems like the only real things that might have even had a chance of being debated as fact was whether the properties in question that Chappelle had foreclosed were blighted. I'm just in in the specifics of this case, I guess there didn't seem to me anything that was not something, a fact that could be referenced to some public record or some statement or some, it was all right there. As far as I'm aware.
1: Yeah. one One of his beefs that he kept coming back to was the use of this word blight. And, you know, he would, he would fuss about whether it was really blighted and if it was blighted, whose fault it was what we persuaded the court on and what other courts have found in the past is that the word blight is in itself an inherently subjective term, right? You, you, gotcha. there, there's no objective definition of blight. It is a, uh, it's a color word. It's a matter of degree, I suppose, and in the condition of a property. And um, to say that something is blighted is to state an opinion, to state a subjective statement. So that, um, that wasn't capable of being false. And so it, that couldn't support a defamation claim. And even if it were, to go on and say that Chappelle was responsible for it, it is, again, in itself, uh, a subjective conclusion of opinion and so you can't really prove that true or false either beyond that i mean you know there's a lot of of evidence in the record in the public record to conclude that it was in fact true that that he did at least bear some responsibility for that and so that's a fair thing to say
0: i believe the former mayor of east lansing himself called the properties blighted at one point so He,
1: he did and other publications in the area um, reported the same thing, used the same words, quoted residents uh, in saying that it was lighted, And that leads us to another uh, defense that, that we relied upon, and that's um, fair report of the public record. Now, Judge Dragonchuk mentioned this phrase uh, a number of times in her ruling, and this actually comes from Michigan statutory law. Right. The, the legislature passed a law that said, if you are fairly reporting on what's in the public record, you cannot be held liable for defamation. And so what a fair report is, 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 a, is, is a substantially accurate uh, recounting of things that are in a public document's uh you know, public records of, of one nature or another. The mayor's statement qualifies as a public record. Uh, right, uh right. The, the the articles, the reporting that are out in circulation, you know, public records. The notes and, and meeting minutes of city council meetings that we we cited, those are all public records. And what those show is that, you know, people absolutely were out there using that phrase blighted and so for us to report upon the fact that they were using that phrase is a fair report and can't be defamation
0: right so i i took a semester of com law in college shout out professor Elliot lewis but as a lay person listening and covering this legal proceeding to me it seemed like it was airing some grievances by chappelle like he was disgruntled that this property had been reported on and that it had been described as blighted and Nope, not grievances are grievances. I'm not here to judge them, but that nothing it was grievances and nothing in the complaint that was filed either in Washtenaw County or then back in Ingham was really just actionable under the law. Is that more or less is my read on that kind of correct? Or yeah. This was
1: this was Scott Chappelle uh vindicating his thin skin. Uh, he didn't like the fact that people didn't like him. He didn't like the fact that people were criticizing him. And uh, I, I, I honestly see this lawsuit having been filed as client service to his ego, right? This is him paying his lawyers to make himself feel better about himself and uh, not what really the courts ought to be
0: used for. Gotcha. So I wanted to move on after the, the case was dismissed, this was... Two weeks ago, no, last week. Uh, time, time is moving funnily on me. But they issued a press release the next day saying, you know, the case was dismissed pending appeal, and they drew a ton of attention to a retraction made by Elliot Singer. For those who don't know, Elliot Singer was named on the original complaint in Washtenaw County um, in regard to some things that Elliot had published, I believe, on public response and a couple other statements Elliot had made. Elliot has since issued a personal retraction regarding those statements and was not named as a defendant in the amended complaint that was dismissed last week, but they keep pointing to this retraction that Elliot has made, and they also continue to assert that Eli and Alice Drager, my boss and Eli's founder, have been making these claims based on falsehoods, even though the judge ruled that the claims couldn't even be objectively falsifiable. I guess, what's your just general view on that release, or what did you take that to sort of mean other than we lost and we might appeal
1: so um it was more of the same really there was i struggled to uh discern what that release was trying to accomplish myself other than to repeat the same things that they had argued in the court that didn't go anywhere and now they figure well a court of law isn't going to hear our legal claim, so maybe the court of public opinion will give us uh, more hearing. Um, but th- th- there is really no point made by that press release. Uh, the fact that, that Elliot Singer issued that retraction honestly just indicates that you know they, they were able to pressure Elliot Singer uh, to cry Uncle and that he didn't want to pay to defend a lawsuit. His statements are his statements. Uh, they aren't our statements. And if he wants to retract them and and, and s- apologize for them, that's on him. And that's fine. Um, but it really has no bearing at all on whether uh, our statements were defamation or not. And they clearly right. were not.
0: Right. Well, they, they also, in the release, uh, hammer on the point that Eli has not re- published or reproduced these retractions. I You just kind of touched on this. Eli, as I understand is we're under no obligation to publish or not publish anything. I mean, we retain editorial control. That's sort of the core of how a news organization works, but they keep talking about the retraction as if that somehow means everything that Eli has published seems to be false and because we haven't ignored. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just curious that retraction, it's Elliot Singer's retraction and Eli is pretty much we can do what we would do with that what we would do with any other public statement or bit of information or reporting we would get, no. Exactly. Uh, we talked about the
1: First Amendment and the freedom of speech and a corollary to that is the freedom not to speak, right? They Just because they send us a press release doesn't mean that we have any obligation to publish it. That Our publication is our speech and we can choose not to talk about those things because we think those things are silly or we think those things are unfounded or for whatever reason we choose not to publish them.
0: Right. And in your argument, before Judge Dragonchuck, when the suit was dismissed, you mentioned the the chilling effect defamation suits and other um, tort claims against news organizations can have. Can you just explain the the concept of that chilling effect and what that means?
1: Yeah, so that wasn't my language, right? That comes out of a long line of. Uh, cases going all the way up to Supreme Court decisions that uh, are there to remind trial courts like this one that you know this isn't just your average lawsuit this isn't you know two contractual parties fighting over who owes who money um, those are those are relationships that you can fairly expect might lead to uh, court disputes someday this is different the this is a Uh, media outlet exercising its right of free speech. And we ought to protect that. And we ought to be um, especially careful not to allow parties like that to be tied up unnecessarily in litigation, because what it does is exactly what Chappelle tried to do here, which is bully a nonprofit media outlet into not talking about him. And that is, unfortunately, a very powerful threat. Uh, groups like Eli that are nonprofit, that rely on, on uh, viewer and listener and reader donations you know, they, they don't have a lot of money to spend on legal fees and they don't no, think, no, you know, no money don't to spend on legal fees. No money. <laughs> right. Right. Sure. And, and, you know, that's, that's obviously something that, you know, you and we worked out uh, on our own how to right. handle that, and why I'm happy to be able to do things like that for you because not a lot of bigger firms can, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's an expensive process to go through litigation and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's fair, For lawyers to get paid, but then you know, where's the money to pay them in a lot of these instances? You know, when I was when I was a baby lawyer and I just got out of law school, uh, I had amazing opportunities to do really um, frequent and uh, involved and complex litigation for the Detroit Free Press because that was the client that we represented at the time. But that was in uh, the year 2000, when people still bought newspapers. And so newspapers had extra money to spend on yeah. litigation. They could go out and they could vindicate their First Amendment liberties. They could uh, they could challenge uh, court closures and gag orders. They could defend themselves and make great legal precedent when they were sued for defamation. Uh, and that was that was a lot of fun as a lawyer, and that was a great learning experience. Nowadays, um, we don't have that opportunity. Nobody buys newspapers. The, the the media doesn't have the the money that it used to. And so we have to scrap and and scrape and and do, you know go through enormous lengths to uh, to to even fund the most basic of of legal defenses. And that's a real shame uh, because people like Scott Chappelle know that. And they know that they can take advantage of that by just threatening and just bringing a lawsuit and forcing these uh, organizations to spend money that they don't have to defend liberties that they shouldn't have to fight about because it ought to be obvious that reporting like this is protected
0: by, by the First Amendment. Right. So you, it,
1: we live in a much different world that way.
0: You perfectly bled into my next question, which I, uh, I'll preface it um, Anti slap legislation, which we're about to discuss briefly, is SLAP with two P's, S L A P P, is strategic lawsuit against partic- public participation, which I think, as Brian would argue, the Chappelle suit against Eli would fit the definition of. What an anti slap statute or legislation does, and there are a number of states that have them on the books now, Michigan does not, is it gives you another. I guess you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Brian, there's sort of it gives you another sort of legal button to hit when somebody files a defamation suit or some suit, like a large entity against uh, uh, protesters or something to say, hey, this lawsuit's bogus and trying to just get us tied up in court so we can't use our free speech. The judge can then just toss it on those grounds without even having to examine the particulars of the case. If it's that obvious, Michigan obviously does not have one. So that opportunity was not afforded to us here. What's your take on Michigan potentially adopting an anti-slap statute? Excuse me. That I don't know that there's anything in the legislature now, but that's something that we at Eli have been thinking about frequently ourselves from time to time. And is that something that maybe would have been used to our advantage if it existed in this case?
1: Yes, it would have been useful. And, you know, the specific details of the NSLAP slap statutes vary by jurisdiction, right, because they exist right. um, separately in each jurisdiction. But in, in general, what it does is provide for a procedural mechanism to do exactly what we did here, honestly, which is to provide uh, earlier uh, procedural review of a, a lawsuit like this one. Um, so as we showed here, there there are still, you know, we still have the option to bring a, a, a summary disposition lawsuit, which is what, or a motion rather, which is what we did. Um, but an anti-slab statute would make that easier. It would make it more routine. And it would also um, create more consequences. Typically, in an anti-slab situation, if you lose that motion, if uh, the, the plaintiff who brings the lawsuit loses that motion, it has their... Uh, lawsuit dismissed out of the gate under that statute, there's usually an opportunity for uh, the defendant to recover their legal fees.
0: Right. And then lastly, this one is sort of a little broader, but Eli has gone. who have been working b- before this Chappelle suit uh, around six and a half or seven years without facing a defamation suit. You mentioned you've worked with uh, when you were a baby lawyer back when I was two years old that you uh, worked with the Detroit Free Press. I guess, is it how common are defamation suits, and is it surprising or sort of expected that Eli went six, seven years without facing one, especially given that we do, we do a fair bit of harder-hitting reporting?
1: Yeah, for an investigative journalistic uh, endeavor like yourselves, um, that's a pretty good run. Uh, Yeah, usually uh, they they can be pretty frequent. That's that's it's cost of doing business when you're a journalist, especially especially an investigative journalist, because um, you know it's kind of an occupational hazard to piss people off. And when they have the resources to do something about it, a lot of times they slap back, like Chappelle did here. So yeah, it is it is common in. Honestly, even in the political environment we're in, defamation lawsuits have become more common. Uh, not, any, not any better, necessarily, not any more uh, legally meritorious, but certainly more common procedurally. Um, so, yes, that these, these things do happen, and they are the types of things that a media organization needs to be prepared to
0: defend themselves against. Gotcha. Well, thanks to you, Brian, we at least we can hold up one to no as our record for now. That's really all I have. Uh, Is there anything that I'm not the lawyer here? Is there anything that I should have asked you or should have uh, touched on that I didn't? Not necessarily.
1: There's, um, I mean, there are obviously other defenses that we uh, relied upon. Uh, For example, you know, there, a lot of Chappelle's arguments were based not on what Eli actually said, right? Most of the, the, statements at issue Chappelle never actually argued that they were false his argument was that well they were said in a way that somebody might read that and maybe draw a conclusion that was false and that was that's that's called implied defamation that that you could insinuate from something that we said um, that and, and reached uh, some sort of false conclusion that's an even even more of a stretch than your average defamation lawsuit because the, People in general and the media in particular get a lot of room, a lot of wiggle room for what they say, and then they're really not held responsible for conclusions that people may draw in and of themselves right you You are judged by your words and and not what people might read into your words and that's that's
0: something that came uh became handy here yeah it was I think the it's the Albany Times Union editor in chief had a good one during the Cuomo saga that is judges by what we publish not by what we ask and I I think I can I can stand by that one of yeah you're right we are going to tick some people off but it's going to be fair and we're going to we're going to ground it in verifiable truth which the court found here so Brian I want to thank you for uh, for joining me and taking some time I know you're a, a busy guy generally so I really appreciate this
1: yeah, absolutely, and you know Eli really, uh, really should be commended here because, as I said, it's very common to, to beat up on news organizations, and it's common to see what you know Mr. Singer did here, which is to just throw up your hands and make the retraction that was demanded of you. And you know I'm I'm not here to to, to judge or assess why he did that, um, but I'm glad to see that Eli did not, and that they found a way to stand out for themselves and and really make what I think will be a helpful precedent going forward for other news organizations.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much Brian. Thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you again to Brian for joining the show and now to finish I'll go through some recent local news. The race for 3 East Lansing City Council seats came to a close on Tuesday evening. Dana Watson and George Brookover have been elected to the two open four-year terms respectively and Ron Bacon was elected to the partial two-year term. Bacon and Watson are both incumbents, though none of the 3 candidates elected on Tuesday have been elected to city council before. Both Bacon and Watson were appointed in September 2020 following the resignations of Ruth Beyer and Mark Meadows from City Council. Brookover will be the only new face on City Council, but he has served in the past on the East Lansing School Board and is a familiar name in the community. In the race for the two open four-year terms, Watson and Brookover won out in a field of five candidates. Their challenges were Daniel Bullman, Chuck Grigsby, and Adam DeLay. Ron Bacon ran against one, one opponent for the partial term, Mike Emanuel Jr., and in the two-year race, Bacon won comfortably, securing about 83% of the vote. In the four-year race, Watson was the top vote-getter with 2,275. Brookover came second and garnered 2,063 votes. Those totals were good for about 26 and 23% of the vote in that election, respectively. You can see EastLansingInfo.News for more election reporting. In other local news, the East Lansing Police Department is seeking to identify those who burned couches and committed other destructive acts and potentially bring criminal charges. According to ELPD, throughout the day on October 30th, ELPD had a total of 349 calls for service and there were 20 citations issued and 5 arrests made. From 7.30 a.m. on October 30th to 7.30 a.m. on October 31st, EL Fire Department had a total of 142 calls for service, including 79 emergency medical service calls, 57 fire calls, 20 fire alarm calls, 2 elevator rescues, 26 truck squad medic assists, and 6 mutual aid calls. At least two cars were overturned, including one described as, quote, destroyed in the alley of the 200 block of Cedar Street. That would be around Cedar Village. In a statement during the week that followed the game, Michigan State University President Samuel Stanley said the university will seek disciplinary action against the students who are reported to the university. I want to be clear, Stanley wrote, students who are reported to have violated university policies, which include arson and vandalism, will go through our student conduct process and will face penalties off-campus behavior has on-campus consequences when individuals present a clear danger to themselves or others in these settings. East Lansing Mayor Jesse Gregg, whose tweet about her police ride-along on that day and evening was picked up by the Daily Mail in England, wrote on Facebook that, quote, it's tempting to write off the arson and the vandalism as high spirits, but last night I witnessed a kerosene-soaked couch on fire two feet away from a line of parked cars and another fully engaged fire directly under a power line, with flames high enough that there was concern for the integrity of the wires. And obviously, the car flipping is unacceptable. Additionally, on Saturday, October 30th, and in the early hours of October 31st, ELPD responded to separate shootings in the city of East Lansing. The first, which officers responded to around 8 p.m. on October 30th, took place on Halter Lane in the Falcon Point apartment complex. Two people were found dead on the scene, apparently killed from gunshot wounds in what has been reported so far as a murder-suicide. Official confirmation on the situation and the outcome or nature of the murder-suicide will come with the autopsy results, according to ELPD Wg Chief Steve Gonzalez. The second shooting took place around 2 a.m. downtown in the parking lot off Albert Street, often referred to as the CVS lot. According to ELPD, one person was found on the scene with gunshot wounds and was transported to the local hospital for care. Investigations in both cases remain ongoing. And as of Wednesday afternoon, local police and other authorities are continuing to ask the public for information in the search for the missing 18-year-old Brendan Santo. The 18-year-old went missing on Friday, October 29th, leaving Yakely Hall just before midnight on MSU's campus. The search has been ongoing, and there has been multiple notums about Brendan. Santo is described as 5'10", weighing 160 pounds. He was last seen wearing gray sweatpants, a black t-shirt, a black baseball hat, and white Converse high-top shoes. The state news reported that the Michigan State Police Marine Service Division had conducted operations by boat using advanced sonar. That is because the area where Santo had been reported missing is near the Red Cedar River, not because anybody had reported him in the river. Police indicate there is no indication of foul play in this case. Santo's car was also found parked and he was last seen walking on campus and there was no indication he left the East Lansing area, according to MSU police. If you have any information about Brendan Santo or his locations, you are encouraged to call MSUPD at 844-99-MSUPD or to email tips at police.msu.edu. That's about all we have time for on this week's episode of the East Lansing Insider. I just want to once again thank Brian Wassom for coming on the show and discussing the lawsuit against Eli that was recently dismissed. I appreciate him taking that time. And I want to once again thank the listeners for listening along. As a quick programming note, I'll be running the podcast as the main producer until the end of the year, so you'll hear plenty more from me and i want to thank you once again for listening make sure to check out News and 89 impact fm East Lansing insider is brought to you by eli on impact 89 fm we are on the web at News and impact89fm.org thanks for listening